0: Welcome to Your Best Writing Life, an extension of the Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Writers Conference held in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. I'm your host, Linda Goldfarb, and each week I bring you tips and strategies from experts in the writing and publishing industry to help you excel in your craft. Oh, I'm so very glad that you're listening today, and I can tell you, I know what's coming up, so I know you're going to be very glad that you listened in today. No matter who you are in the writing industry, this topic is going to rock you. It really is, because we really need to focus on this area, especially for times such as this. And I, and I believe you're going to go there with me. Today, we're going to be looking at writing male characters. You're going to love my guest. Before I bring him on, I really was just asking Father, when we come together for this time to record this particular topic, We know that it has a huge relevance for those that are writing male characters. If you're women and you're writing male characters, you need to know this. Men writing male characters. But what really came to my heart was knowing that men and women are different. We really have to make sure that that is focused on there is a difference between men and women. And if we don't get it right in our writing It's really going to be difficult to express it as we're going out into the world. We really don't want to have a male character come across as what he is not. And today there's a lot of views of men in our world. And we need to write men by design, how God created them, and bring in that realism and be true to God, and to who he has called us to be. My industry expert, you're going to love him, you're going to love him, J.P. Robinson. J.P. is an award-winning author of historical and political suspense. He is a contributor to Guideposts, Focus on the Family's Clubhouse, and The Salvation Army's War Cry. Oof. His work has been praised by industry leaders such as Publishers Weekly, and secured the number one spot on Amazon's Historical Thrillers category. Please welcome with me, if you will, J.P. Robinson. J.P., so good to have you here.
1: So great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: What we're going to do, J.P., right off the bat, is we are going to take a peek behind your personal curtain. I'd love for you to share something about yourself that we might not read in your bio.
1: Well, one of the things you may not read in my bio is the fact that I am a Longwell archer. I certainly love, uh, that's the Robin Hood style kind of archer. Um, I've been doing that since I was a little boy and it's never left me. I was, see, I was influenced by a male character called Robin Hood. <laughs> and, <laughs> and all these years later, I'm still trying to be like him.
0: <laughs> I tell you, the art Of archery is fabulous. And they have so many different bows today. They have compound bows. And what I tell people is, those are kind of cheating bows. Yes, ma'am. They've balanced everything. That's not how I was taught how to hunt. You're sharing my heartbeat there, just a little bit, JP. So good to know. Do you have photos of you in any type of longbow competition or anything like that?
1: I have not participated in a competition, although that is something that I am so excited to do because actually I only recently discovered that we have a archery club in our area uh, which offers those kind of contests and competitions. Before where I was living previously, we didn't have these kind of resources, so. I am so excited and I've gotten my whole family out there, kids, everyone out there and on the range. And that is something we plan to be doing this year because I, like I said, I've been shooting for years and learned a lot of spiritual lessons from the art of archery. And I'm just so excited to get out there and and just see what will happen.
0: All right. This is good. And I have another question. This is going to be kind of like the elephant in the room for some people. What does JP stand for?
1: (laughs) I go with just pray.
0: (laughs) Okay, you know, you're giving me a visual, right? That, Uh, okay, you were born, your parents looked down and went, okay, just pray.
1: Well, I I know they did a lot of praying for me, I'll tell you that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If we all started off our names with JP, man, I will tell you, we're going down a road. No matter what you do, if you put just pray in front of everything Mm. you do, golly, would life be different, right?
1: (laughs) I agree. I fully agree.
0: Today, we are looking at content that is relevant that is pertinent to writing male characters that are real writing male characters that are valuable writing male characters that people connect with and writing male characters right now it is so very important that we are writing male characters correctly why is it important for us to write characters that appeal to men as well as women
1: Let's address that first. Sure, I'm going to start off with actually answering that question, which is two words, and then I'm going to expand on it. And my answer would be, "Men matter." Without criticizing or meaning to be critical in any way, I do believe that in the Christian industry or Christian the realms, let's say it that way, of Christianity, I think we have we've definitely focused on the female needs of our of, of followers of Christ and Christians, which I think is very important. But in so doing, I believe that we've unintentionally neglected. A lot of the men, um, and and so and as a result of that, we see a lot of a whole plenora, plethora, plethora of, of problems that have emerged, uh, situations, needs that are not being addressed. And I think that uh, just from my own perspective, I think that the idea has kind of been, well, you know, men are strong and they're going to handle it and they're going to come through it, right? You know, they're going to just follow God, or whatever. And uh, that actually is not an accurate perspective. Uh, we definitely there's mm-hmm. such a need amongst us, especially as outside influences. Come in and confront men on an ongoing basis. Uh, my wife and I do a lot of marriage talks to different churches and think groups around the around the country, and um, we therefore see a lot and experience a lot of issues from from pornography to all kinds of you know mm. abuse, all kinds of negative things that uh, that men face on an ongoing basis. And it, there it just doesn't seem to be a, enough of a push to support to have a correct uh, to have accurate and meaningful content out there for them or enough opportunities to speak and to engage in dialogues on these difficult topics. And as a result, uh, we often see them falling to the wayside. Uh, so my mm-hmm. first answer to that would be because men matter. I'm just simply recognizing that there is a definite need. And, and as servants of Christ, we are here to meet the needs that exist amongst us um, on, a, on a practical number, uh, a practical You know, and and level as well, there's definitely an increasing number of male readers that are out there. Mm. Um, And that is from young adults. As a a former educator, there's a constant push to get younger and younger readers, get boys engaged in reading. Um, In Pennsylvania, where I live, there's been a lot of research and data that has shown that boys are falling off to the wayside again in education. And so there's definitely a push for that. And as authors, we want to make sure that we are, again, meeting that need and providing opportunities for parents. I'm a father of two boys. I want to make sure that they're reading wholesome, wholesome material and mm. things that are out there mm. to meet their needs as well. You know, and I one is not the Absolutely. was not the strongest of readers, but we're getting him on get engaged. And as we find content that is interesting, meaningful and spiritually edifying or, or whatever to him, we see that level of engagement increasing. So that, those are my Amen. first two answers right there. <laughs>
0: OK, that's good. Let's look at this. We have a lot of female writers. They're writing a lot of material. What should female writers be careful about when writing male characters?
1: I love that question. Thank you, Linda. And one of the things I often advocate female authors about is to make sure that they write men as they are, not as women would like them to be. And I want to say that again, just to make sure Mm. that came through. Okay, It is essential that we write men as they are, or that female authors write men as they are, not as they would like men to be. And uh, this is, without, again, meaning to sound harsh or anything like that at all, this is one of the biggest problems and turnoffs that we see from men. And, and in coming up with this content, I've sat down sat down, and interviewed men. I've sat down and asked them, what do you want to see as Christian men in literature? What would draw you, you know, into, into a book, et cetera? And one of the things that we were definitely realizing is that there's an ongoing portrayal of men, um, often through a feminized lens, uh, where authors unintentionally portray men as they would like them to be idealistically, uh, in regards to everyday day-to-day day-to-day scenarios. Whether this is a romantic situation, perhaps having the right words to all the time, or you know, constantly being in the best of shape, or things like that. Things that may not exactly be realistic to every to you know men's day-to-day experiences. Perhaps the way ha- situations are handled or problems are resolved. Um, Sometimes men don't always, we don't always listen when we should. (laughs) Sometimes we speak instead of listen Mm -hmm. and vice versa. And so authors, uh, female authors oftentimes turn around and have this man is always patiently listening and always, you know, just saying the right words, etc. And it creates a disconnect, because while that may indeed be appropriate, it may be the right response. It's not necessarily the way that a man would respond in that scenario or maybe the way where mm. he needs to grow to be. So as a result, unless we have the the real immersive or the real experience of just simply laying it out as men are and giving us room to be men and to be what we are, it creates this disconnect with the character that often discourages men from continuing further in the book.
0: Absolutely. And it would do that. Now we have fiction and we have nonfiction even in the fiction writing, in the fiction realm, we see everyone is great, everyone is wonderful. Even when they're not wonderful, they're still wonderful mm-hmm. in some fashion. Sometimes we write female characters that are perfect, and you're going that that just doesn't doesn't happen. They that doesn't exist exactly. I think too with the male characters, something happens to the psyche of us as humans when we close our eyes and we fantasize about, oh, what life could be like. Oh, if he was only this. Oh, if she was only this. And we label entertainment. Golly, I may get a lot of rebuttal from this because people say, well, it's just entertainment. It's entertainment. This is fiction. This isn't real. We're writing this so everyone is just having an enjoyable time. But from what I'm hearing from you is that, there are some instances where it goes overboard. It's not showing the areas where a man can fail. It's not showing his humanity. We can get caught up and then expect again for every man in the world to be able to act that way. Or I can only be happy if I'm with a man who acts that way or looks that way, as you said. And so there is a fine line there. Yet when you're speaking, are you telling fiction writers not to make the people in the book people that are appealing?
1: Not at all. And uh, bef- I'm not at all saying that. I'm saying that they need to be appealing, and whether that's expressed physically or whatever. But I think above it all, it needs- there needs to be that that t- strong degree of realism. You see, mm-hmm. the thing is, what we've experienced is, we say that we're reading for entertainment, and that may well be true. But the reality is that fiction It is undeniably one of the most powerful means of teaching lessons throughout human, human history we have taught through story whether those stories have been oral or whether they've been written down and um, as we as authors create worlds and characters that are living and making life choices within the realms of our book we recognize that we're drawing the reader if we're doing our job right we are sucking the reader into that story and we're making him or her in a part of something bigger than their own world so when we are creating characters that are idealistic or overly idealistic or characters who do not start off as real and grow to, or grow to where they ought to be you know characters start off flawed and grow to where they ought to be what ends up happening is that in many cases we're constantly creating this world where we're setting the stage for actual dissatisfaction inside relationships mm-hmm. or actually idealistic expectations that may not manifest for example if you think about the typical story that involves you know a man and woman getting together falling in love especially as a christian couple in a christian novel very rarely do we actually take them to the point or does the reader experience friction or arguments or serious disagreement that threaten the marriage uh, after the vows have been said. We often tend to portray things as being that come together. That might be the end of the book. That might be the end of the story, etc. But what we need to really recognize is that for those of us who've been married or, you know, we recognize that that is definitely not the case. <laughs> 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 and I'm saying that with, you know, thanking God for 17 wonderful years of marriage. Uh, I thank God for it. But, you know, you there are There is reality, you know, so I think what we've experienced is that, you know, when we create men who have to, we create these unrealistic, idealistic expectations for men, and it becomes very difficult for us, for men sometimes to live up to them. And again, I'm not excusing lack of growth. I'm just simply trying to point out the fact that we do need to keep things balanced and above all, real.
0: Mm, I like that. And we can have reality and fiction and fantasy is entirely different. Fiction still brings in that element of realness in certain relational situations. So I think it's good, very good to keep that in mind. Well, let's go to the question about the YA audience. How can we help writers or what do writers trying to reach a male and a YA audience? What do they need to know or what is their best approach?
1: Okay, and uh, I'm gonna. I started off earlier a little while ago, joking about you know Robin Hood and the longbow, you know my longbow um, life. But I actually was being a little bit serious there as well. And the reason I mentioned that is because authors, y, YA authors, need to recognize that they have immense power uh, to influence younger men. And I'm going to speak here about in the YA segment, focusing primarily on male readers in the YA segment. What we need to realize is that when we're creating characters in YA, we're creating people that these younger adults are looking to. You know, these younger readers are looking to these normally older characters who are normally slightly older than them and are looking to them for teachable moments and for teachable lessons, either through the way maybe they may not be actively aware of it, but through the way the characters handle situations and handle scenarios or their habits, their likes, their dislikes, if it's a character that the YA reader is going to completely identify with or resonate with. That's a lot of power in the hands of the author. So we need to recognize yeah. that as a YA author, first of all, make sure that our characters are are they're are using language or slang that's appropriate, that will resonate with the readers. Um, as adults, we tend to speak a little bit differently than our audience. But again, if we're writing for a younger audience, we need to make sure that the terminology that we're using, slang, whatever is, is appropriate to the age group, will resonate with that age group. So that way they can feel that connection. Um, Of course, if you're writing historical, you need to make sure it's appropriate to the era you're writing in as well. But we also want to make sure the biggest thing is we want to make sure that we're thinking like that team, thinking the characters are thinking like the audience with which we are that we are trying to reach. So, for example, I'm 36, you know, right now. And if I'm writing a a book for a YA audience and if I am uh, creating my my protagonist is, let's say, 20 or maybe even let's bring that younger, 17, 18 years old. The way I think at, at 36 is very different than the way I thought at 17, 18 years old, and uh, so I think it's important for us to recognize we need to think like a teen or think like that. Why audience we're putting in there in terms of our mindsets, complexes, and most importantly, the what's important to us. Uh, as we grow older, we develop that risk factor, and we develop, you know, our our uh, more holistic awareness of ourselves and who we are in Christ, and these things as well. Our priority of issues tends to change, but at, uh, at the audience that we're trying to reach here is going to have a very different idea of what's important then we might have as an adult. So we need to forget our own mind and step into the mind of that YA reader, step into that mind of that target audience there. And then through that, what look, knowing what they're looking for, then we turn around and we try to transfuse that into our character that we're creating. And mm. one of the things I think that's also really important to remember is that for a lot of our younger audience, they're growing up and a lot of our younger boys are growing up in single homes. And I always advocate that for YA authors keep in mind, again, the power, okay, that's in their hands, recognize that, if your reader, you can't control this, but you want to write in such a way that if your reader is growing up without a male influence, without a dad figure, a father figure in that home, you want to recognize that your male characters that you create can easily present lessons or set an example to which that character might aspire. Just keep that in mind, you know, as well, that we, we, we want to make sure that we're keeping these things, that we're setting a, an example and a trend out there that can reach them as well. One thing I also, also caused, and this came up in a, in a time I was uh, speaking on the subject, someone had asked the question, you know, what about a, a young male reader that's being raised by a single parent, being raised by a mom, and is growing up without a dad in his life, et cetera, as well? And I kind of addressed this for a moment, but I would like to say this, that when we're writing characters that are to connect with YA readers, we need to recognize that our character may not have what we call, quote unquote, a traditional male mindset. So if our character that is, uh, our YA character is being raised by a single parent. In order to connect with perhaps younger younger readers who are in, in a similar situation, we want to make sure make sure that we are taking into consideration that our our YA character's mindsets may not be what we would call quote unquote traditional in the sense that he may not have that right. kind of assertion, or he might second guess himself, or he might turn around and and you know just turn around and not make decisions that we would consider. Typical. So these are all just areas and things that we need to keep in mind as society evolves and changes, and we as authors work to meet those needs. Does that answer your question?
0: It really does. And I was going to ask you to expound, if you wanted to, on how the the boys in their books should be presented and you touched on that. I didn't know if there was anything else that you wanted to add on before we move forward.
1: Sure. In terms of boys and how they're presented, we want to present them in ways that most of all will connect with readers. So we want, whether it's their dressing um, any way that we can really make that connection, any way that we can actually truly turn around and make sure we're not only retargeting is similar interests or um, that are, are common. Sometimes I've seen authors do this in terms of referencing popular cultural icons, whether it be star Wars or something like that, that the reader might know and that might make a connection with that YAA. Uh, I tend to write more historical, so uh, that's kind of a little bit outside my scope there. But I do recognize that when I am writing and, and speaking about um, speaking to YA audiences and etc. I love to get them. There are some problems and scenarios that are that transcend time. So things like identity, mm-hmm. figuring out who I am, who does God want me to be, living up to expectations from my for my parents or from society, the pressures that are surrounding these things. What does it mean to be a man? How do I know when I'm no longer a boy and I'm a man, you know, making sure that the questions that our characters are experiencing in the story and the search for those answers, those are all important elements that need to be there to connect with YA boys to turn around and say, okay, so by the time they're closing that book, they've got a better feel for themselves or they can resonate with that character who's gone on this incredible journey to find out, to find himself through the story.
0: That's right. And I, I love that you said, who am I to be as a man? Mm -hmm. Who does God want me to be? As you mentioned earlier, there is a lot of for a better word, there is a lot of junk yeah. infiltrating the minds of our young people today. There's skewed views of male and female. Mm-hmm. This is this is reality. This is this is what's happening. And young people as well as adults can get immersed in the story because they're looking for a story that's better than where they are they're looking for a story that has the element of hope they're looking for a story that they can say perhaps me perhaps this can be my future and as i was listening to you i just kept feeling yes We must always be lifting up their heads. We must be showing them there is a light. There is a way. There's always a way out. Mm -hmm. There's always another option. There is choice. And in that choice, sometimes they're going to choose incorrectly. And when they choose incorrectly, for goodness sakes, let them have a consequence of their choice. Yes. Let there be a consequence because there is consequence today. (laughs) And I think that we're there's some families that are trying to raise their children without consequence. And as when I work with parents and they go, well, but I want them to know I love them. I go, you know what? When you don't give them consequence, you're putting them in a dark room, standing them in the middle of the room with nothing around them, and then saying, I need you to find your way out without tripping over any of the Mm, potholes. mm. And you put them in the dark. I said, the way in order for you to help them is you give them a wall, give them a boundary, say, this is who we are. This is where we begin. And for our characters to have that, even if it's an area of conflict, when we're writing for YA, because young people understand conflict. They do. They are having some kind of struggle. So if they can relate to the struggle of the character in the book, they're going to go, okay, yes. You know, I may not be living in Sherwood forest,
1: right? <laughs> but
0: to understand conflict is conflict and giving me that choice and giving me that way and giving me camaraderie, mm-hmm. maybe um, the element that there's someone else involved in my life, you know, what your thoughts on that?
1: You know, Linda, I, I as you were listening as you were talking there, I was thinking back that just recently I spoke to a group of young writers at a university, a college near us. They invited me to come down and to speak and i was speaking about speaking to them about some of these issues about creating characters and things like that. And one of the things that came out of that that I learned from that was that young people oftentimes have a very bleak, perspective of the future yes uh i was it was really astounding to me as i was listening to this girl describe her plot and her story and it was i was a um like a post-apocalypse kind of a scenario dystopian story that she was writing and she explained a brief summary of it but at the end of the at the end of it all you know basically everyone died and and there was no hope was bleak and and i asked her i said well uh, are you going to show like resilience? You know these characters are rising above, and you know going to work to rebuild the world or something. And the answer was no. The this is basically t- defeated, over, we're done. And um, and in listening to it, I, I encouraged her to rethink that. You know, because I, I explained that the value is we need to always recognize that there's always hope. And I think that this was a that was an eye opening moment for me. Let me really see again the the very bleak perspective with, which, which. Our young people are facing society and facing things. And I think that us, for us as authors, when we're trying to connect with a YA audience, especially YA boys, we need to, first of all, make sure that we are showing them that there is still hope that they can work to turn around and rebuild things, make things right. When they have mistakes and they fall down that, yes, they have fallen, they're broken, but they can turn around and pick themselves back up and get back out there. Uh, we can turn around and show them these things and, and give the, give them, especially boys, the, the structure To know that they're strong enough to do that. Because I feel in myself that society loves this image of a very passive weak kind of male mentality yes. where you're not going to hurt anything and you're not going to hurt yourself. And you're, you know, and I think that is so harmful to the male psyche because that's not how God made us. We need mm-hmm. to create characters that male characters, they can be refined. They don't have to be, you know, be all, you know, covered in blood and gore all the time, but sometimes they will be. And we need to let them know that that's there's right. responsibility, that there is effective, you know, efficient use of force. There is efficient. You got to take protecting your family and providing for your family, take these responsibilities seriously and when we teach and nurture that at a younger age, we are more likely to create that as they, to maintain that mentality as they become adults. Um, just recently, I sat down with a teen at a doctor's office. I was taking someone to a doctor's office and, and you know, it was a 14-year-old and I had to step out for a moment. And they mentioned to me, this, like were, I was about to, and they said, oh, you can't leave him because he's 14 and you're just, you know, just in the waiting room with a bunch of people around. And I, I, of course, stayed. But I began to think and I said, you know, what is it that in our society would keep a 14-year-old male in a in a situation where you can't stay alone for five minutes, you know, or however long by yourself in a waiting room, you know, whatever. And, and again, I'm not criticizing this the this, this hospital industry or anything else, but I was thinking to myself, we love, we recreate we such a society for whatever the reason we create a society where, where we have a lack of confidence in what we can do. Mm. Uh, if I can't trust myself as a young man to, as if I was that kid and I'm saying I'm 14 and I can't trust myself to sit alone in a doctor's office. What can I trust myself to do? Do you understand? It's like the point is we need to make sure that we are conveying information and scenarios where our characters are showing strength and growth in themselves, the ability to get things done in themselves. That's right.
0: Not in a kumbaya way, not in a (laughs) not in a way of at the end, Prince Charming and all this. Yeah, because our our young people today are being raised in a different world than someone growing up 15 years ago was raised in someone growing up 30 years ago raising in, but I think (laughs) right. And you're so not, you're so not, I know dinosaurs and you're not like any of them. One of the elements I think is important because it's important in our society today is if writing to male YA audience, this also works female YA audience to have A mentor. Yes. That Obi Wan Kenobi, to have that individual who is older, has walked the road, has lived the life. It could be a grandfather figure, it could be a father figure. To have those individuals, there's so much richness that could be taught. And in that, with a young person reading, a young person that has no one in their home, maybe they have one caregiver, and and we do have a lot of homes today. Mm -hmm. And this is cross-cultural, folks. We have a lot of homes where grandparents are raising their, their grandbabies. We have caregivers raising multiple children. We have a lot of that element. So the isolation is very prominent in the mind and the heart of young people. If they can read something that opens their eyes to saying, maybe there's someone who could care for me. And you bring that element of hope. You bring that element of Holy Spirit. You bring that element of Jesus Christ. You bring that element that goes beyond the natural, but it can be in the form of a natural relationship in the story as well. I I think all of this is is good.
1: I think so that's good. very true, Linda. I have a friend from Nigeria who once said something, he's a very wise old man, a great influence in my life. Frankly, most of the positive influences in my life were people who are above 60 and 70. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said this once, it always stayed with me. He said, An old man can see sitting down what a young man cannot see from the highest rooftop. And that so good. that has always stayed with me, and I think that when we integrate that persona into our story, that can see that see afar or see the lessons, see the repercussions, or to be that teacher, that mentor, as you said it rightly. That's setting the stage for a personal connection. That's not a device, okay. um, because what we're mm-hmm. confronted with is increased reliance on technology devices, Google yes. these things for answers. When God gave to us wise individuals to be the ones that we are seeking for guidance and for answers, answers, not technology and not entertainment.
0: Amen. Such a good word. Such a good word. Folks, I told you today was going to be a little bit different, and, and I think it's relevant. We need to understand, even as writers, we're mentors. Mm. As individuals that have influence, we're mentors. We're mentoring someone. And the life of young people today, who occurs in their life, who steps in, is impacting the future future of generations to come. Writing to a young person empowers their mind and ignites their hope, gives them a strategy, an exit strategy, perhaps, of where they are and not the exit strategy that so many people are taking today. Amen. It's a horrific time today, but young people are searching and they are finding in the words that you and I are writing And we've got to make it so that it hits that mark. So they want to turn the page. And so when they come to that moment, you mean there's more? You mean I can get past this and being able to show it in fiction? JP, I travel with the Children's Theater. I've been performing for over 27 years. We have the opportunity to be in front of preschoolers all the way up to high schoolers in front of families. Wonderful. And we present with costume truth, and we touch on issues in life, but because we have a costume, barriers are broken down. Hmm. But to be able to speak into a young person, and for them to interact with you and come back with, yes, that's what bullying is. <laughs> yes, that's what it feels like. 45 minutes that impacts a life. Absolutely. and. The writer has more than 45 minutes. Let's take it and run with it. This is, this is powerful stuff, powerful stuff. So I'm going to change this a little bit. What is the market right now for books geared toward male readers?
1: Believe it or not, uh, we've often been told that men don't read, and that is entirely not the truth. Um, I have been following reading habits through Pew Research Center and a couple different reliable research institutions for the past few years, and there's definitely a market out there for it. For it. I want to just share some numbers with you and, and encourage listeners and everyone else to go you know, do your own research as these numbers are continuously updated as uh, as time goes along. But what we are seeing is that uh, in 2018, I'm going to backtrack three years because 2020 was a very different year for a number of reasons. But in 2018, a few Research Center released data that showed 22% of women acknowledged that they had not read a book in that year. Okay, so only 22%, whereas 32% of men acknowledged that they had not read a book that year. So the difference between the two in 2018 was actually only a difference of 10%. Had stated that they had not read a book in the United States in the past in that year. Wow. Wow. 2020, we're going to skip past because, you know, stats are all over the place. People were quarantined and, and whatever else like that. So I'm going to release data from 2021, which was accumulated in the latter part of 2020, but it's a little bit more recent. And you'll see that the number, tr- the trend is going to indicate here, as I'm about to share this, that the number of men who had had not read is actually shrinking. In 2021, the data that was released indicates that 21% of women have not read a book. So relatively consistent with what we had in 2018. of men acknowledge that they had not read a book in that year. So we're looking at a percentage point, a 6% decrease between the data we had of 2018 and three years later, 2021. We can extrapolate a bunch of ideas about it, but our purpose here is not really to explain why. The focus is to look at what. And what we're seeing here is that there is indeed a growing number of men who are reading, whether that be fiction or nonfiction. There is a indeed a renewed market interest, from what I'm hearing. I, I've actually just been looking around and kind of scanning what publishers are looking for and things like that. And there is a growing interest, a renewed market interest in books catered towards men, in even in the Christian industry, uh, where we're seeing you know devotionals and things like that that are geared towards men. You know that that can help whether it be married or married or single or you know fiction titles or nonfiction titles, etc. There is definitely room for that out there. One last thing I wanted to share with you here, which is from Gallup poll they were looking at the data reading habits between men and women over a, this is going to cover a time frame of actually 19 years okay so it's a lot of data here from 2002 to 2016 i'm just going to summarize it from 2002 to 2016 they stated that the number the percentage of the number of books that were read by men were 10.8 books per year in 2002 to 2016 on average 10.8 books per year were read by men in the United States, whereas women read 19.3 books per year. Mm. In 2021, that number shrunk. For men, the number dropped a little bit. The number of books that were read were 9.5 books per year. The number of women were 15.7. The, point, the reason I'm mentioning this here is actually because it's, it's actually significant, the data that was pulled from it, because the number of books that were read by men actually shrunk less than the number of books that were read by women. The number of books read by women decreased by 3.6 books per year and men decreased by 1.3. Again, you know, a lot of reasons why that's a whole nother study. But the, the, re- the reason I'm sharing that is that fact that we need to recognize that men are reading. <laughs> they are clearly reading. And that is great news for us as authors, uh, because what we can expect to see in future years, looking at the data from if you could break it down by generational cohort, millennials and Generation Z, we can see that anticipate that in the future. The number of books that are read by men is going to continue to, it's going to increase or remain relatively constant or increase as you go, time goes along. So we want to make sure we're hitting that market as well.
0: Yeah, we've got to hit that market. Don't play men out, Yeah, right? They're here. Thank the Lord they're here to stay. (laughs) And we need to have quality content that we are placing out there to make a difference in their life. Looking at content, we've been talking a little bit about fiction, looking at nonfiction titles. Can nonfiction titles that are geared toward men incorporate the male characterization strategies that you shared with us as well?
1: Yes, they can. And here's how. If we have characters that are whether we're doing biographies, autobiographies, memoirs, we need to flesh out those characters. I mean, our readers got to pick up that book and understand what the characters involved are looking like. And even if it's self-help, I mean, if we're looking at self-help books like Marriage Instruction or Relationship, Office, Business Development, Colleague Interaction, these are all dealing with personality traits. And because we're all human, Christians or sinners, we're still all human. And we all have things that God needs to work in and through us and areas we can grow, et cetera. So what we want to do is we want to create characters or outline strategies that treat men with respect or show men as mm-hmm. having respect, giving in a nonfiction and non-fiction setting here, we want to make sure that we are remembering that men are problem solvers. That's what God meant for us to be a problem solvers. We want to make sure that we are giving strategies or showing areas in the characters or the individuals involved that are showing or reinforcing positive traits, etc. So essentially what men are looking for is they're looking for situations or scenarios that show relatability show respect wisdom experience who do things get things done men who are reasonably or have a clearly defined masculinity and if we keep these things in mind whether writing fiction or nonfiction, we can turn around and make sure that we are creating books that are having impact because my concern is that if we do not then they're going to turn to secular literature and what the secular world presents of manhood and masculinity is not always in harmony with god's plan
0: this is truth very true I have a final question for you here, or we started talking about single family homes. Mm-hmm. I'd like for you to share your thoughts in those homes specifically, where boys are growing up without a dad, and the impact of writing particular books for those boys. I'd like for you to share your thoughts there.
1: Certainly. On the fiction side, this is where our, our idea of a mentor can really come and shine. If we create characters who are wise, seasoned, interacting with a younger male in there, kind of like you mentioned, Obi-Wan Kenobi or some mentor in that aspect, he's going to read those messages in and see them for himself. Um, on Also on the fiction side, we can turn around and have that character make mistakes. And I think that this is Make mistakes that are appropriate for the teen, uh, the teen mentality and teen mind. I think that that is so important that we have this character who is, you know, whether he who's struggling with issues, maybe bullying or or, uh, again, identity, whatever it is. And he's making these mistakes. But then there's that recovery path after he sees the consequence that comes as a result of his decision. He learns from it, grows from it, making it an eternal problem so this character can turn around and see it because he doesn't have dad in the home there to show him what to do or to teach him or to sit down and talk with him. Um, I also think that it's possible on the nonfiction side, although I, there's definitely more readership for younger younger audiences on fiction than nonfiction, of course, but I also believe on the nonfiction side that we can create lessons or devotionals that are actually geared towards the single parent. And this is something that I'm beginning to explore myself. Interactive, hands-on devotions, actual experiences and activities that can get single parents or single caregivers uh, or someone growing without dad in the home, teach the lessons that a father should teach. Responsibility, accountability, integrity, honesty, these things that a father should teach. We've got to recognize that as Christian authors, we, could, we don't just have to show our lessons through characters. We can also give step-by-step instructions. We can also teach and share or create lessons and ideas that will turn around and empower a single parent to actively meet the need that as best as she can without a dad in the home. Um, I hope that that's coming through clearly that it's, we can do that and through fiction and also through nonfiction. Uh, If we're writing biographies, you know, sharing stories about individuals who also themselves grew up without a dad in home, you know, I I think of my father, my father grew up without his father being involved in his life at all, or being, he grew up with, with his mom. And, you know, when my dad looked at that scenario And resolved, he became a Christian and led his mom to Christ, by the way, and turned around and resolved and said, you know what, I am going to be the man that my father never was. And so when we create Mm. characters or individuals on the fiction side or on the nonfiction side that actually turn around and be what was lacking in their lives, we're setting the stage to really have some serious impact. It's because my dad chose to make that decision that I am being the father I need to be today. So, you know, as authors, the sky's the limit, the impact we can have, whether writing fiction or nonfiction, we can help supplement. We can't replace a father figure, but we can help supplement and help meet that need.
0: Absolutely. As a formal single mom raising my oldest son and youngest daughter. Yeah.
1: It's, I tough. Can relate. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah,
0: It's tough. It's not, it's not an easy road. It is not an easy road. You have given us so much Really appreciate the time that you have spent with us and looking at all these different elements as far as writing male characters, writing to male characters, even touching on the differing factors of writing to specific ages of young young men. This is valuable. Very, very valuable. I have a, a question that's not geared to the topic. Sure. My question is, JP Robinson, what brings you joy?
1: Linda, you know what? I'm going to tell you this, and this might sound strange to some people, but I'm going to say, because I know you'll understand. What brings me joy is actually serving other people. Mm. When I can feel that what I have said, done, or organized has actually had an impact on someone's life, a positive impact, I mean, of course- that brings me joy, uh, and whether that's mm-hmm. writing or whether that's you know connecting people and planning events and organizations or speaking to groups, I really cannot think of anything more. Actually, that makes me happier than recognizing that this has had value. And just if you don't mind, I'll show the per- the reason why, if that's okay. Sure. Um, my My mom could not have children. My parents, when they got married, they could not have kids and they prayed for six years. And in the Caribbean where my family comes from at the time period, you know, woman not having a child was a really big deal. And uh, she got made fun of a lot. You know, they used to call her a mule. It it bothered her till the day she died. I remember my mom telling me about that, Mm -hmm. Um, but they prayed for six years that God would give them kids. And the Lord answered prayer and gave them three. And I've always Mm -hmm. felt that because uh, that God was merciful to me in giving me life, um, not only that, but also through life, you know, protecting me through so many life-threatening situations that we can't talk about today. But I've realized that I've always kind of felt like I I owe him <laughs> in a sense, if that can uh, make if that makes sense. I owe him a debt of gratitude mm-hmm. uh, for mm-hmm. my literal life, as well as the spiritual life that I found in Christ. So I became a Christian eight years old and God has kept me all these years. And I think that now, you know, with life, as God has given me the ability to speak to people and to minister to them in a variety of, of ways, like through this, et cetera, there is nothing more that is more meaningful than serving other people.
0: Hmm. Oh, we need to share that story at some point. <laughs> I know. The lives of people don't even get a glimpse at the stories behind the writers yeah. and what God has done. That's beautiful. That is, that is who we are. Once we receive, we are born to serve. That's right. And are reborn to serve. Right. I appreciate that so much. I know you have your latest book, In the Dead of the Night, and this is book three of the Northshire Heritage Series. And it is, of course, available on Amazon. and There's a sample on your website. I've got all of that down in the show notes as well. Tell us a little bit about the book series, the Northshire heritage series. And then I know that you have
1: something <laughs> in the works that I'm so
0: excited. We'll get there in a minute, but, but share with, share the book number three in that. All
1: right. Well, book three is the, the final book in uh, Northshire heritage, like you mentioned, and it's uh, it's a world war one, world war one trilogy uh, that actually really was sparked by a sermon. Uh, all three books were small by a sermon. I was listening to a preacher and um, like a recording of a sermon and he was talking about, uh, I think, the prodigal son or something like that, and it just... I was really intrigued by the idea of God as a father. You know, I I was thinking about, you know, God in the Garden of Eden as a father, like you said, gave consequences. You know, he he expelled Adam and Eve from the garden for disobedience. But then I was thinking, you know, the parable Jesus taught us with the the prodigal son who went out. The father went out waiting at the gate, you know, to welcome his son back home. And I was just looking at how God expresses different aspects of himself, you know, as a father to redeem us, etc. And so just thinking, musing, meditating on that. That's what gave birth to three books, um, uh, more than half a million words, <laughs> all combined, and uh, <laughs> of, of espionage, intrigue, romance, and all these things in, in, the, in the scope of war, you know, so I, you know, it's just as my way of looking at, at redemption and what that all means and exploring. it. So I had a lot of fun. And I think really just gave me a deeper understanding of fatherhood as being a father myself. So this book is high intense and intensity and wraps that up. And yes, I am working on uh, multiple projects right now, but I think I know the one you're talking about. <laughs>
0: yes, yes. Share cheer, 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 it, share it, share it, please.
1: It is the Strength and Honor series. Uh, that's the title. It's called Strength and Honor. They are short novellas, basically 50,000 words or less, or maybe 60, 70,000, depending on how inspired I feel. But short books, um, that the first of which will be available next year, focusing on little-known men of the Bible that played a major role in bringing out the plan of God. First one is Nehemiah and uh, my tagline for that is broken is not defeated. And mm. uh, so we're, you know, we're looking at this amazing man, Nehemiah, which research has thoroughly deepened my appreciation for the word of God and for the, the, the man behind the book of Nehemiah, you know, uh, the, Kupfer, yes. you know, it's just really amazing. So getting in there and just doing, just digging down and really drilling down to the Persia at that time and Jerusalem, what was going on in the world has just been a phenomenal experience. And I had the privilege of being in Israel a couple of years ago, so I'm linking up some things that I remember as well. Yeah, it's just really exciting just you know, looking at this man's life and how God used him to accomplish his purpose. So a very short snapshot, high-driven, high-intensity kind of books that's synonymous with my name, I guess, but I try to keep it intense and keep it moving because that's what we like as men. We like books that get us right in the problem and, and keep us turning pages. I'm hoping that it will be used by God to again, reinforce these understandings that God can use anyone who will surrender themselves to his purpose. Um, And I'm, but I am writing it predominantly with a male audience, a younger male audience really in mind. So that's what I'm working on. (laughs)
0: So good. So good. We do have all of the information that you need in the show notes. Keep in mind that uh, he and his bride do marriage talks and, if Father leads you, maybe there's something that you might want to reach out to them and say, hey, can you come to our territory? That might be another way. I don't know. I, I've i sat under the teaching of JP, and what I've experienced is a depth of love for the Father and doing the right thing, recognizing that the more that we get beyond ourselves and really Embrace who God is and God's design for ourselves. There is no limit, and I think that that comes through in everything that He does. JP, it has been a joy to have you here with us on Your Best Writing Life.
1: Oh, it's been my privilege and honor, Linda. Thank you so much for for having me here, and I trust that from our conversation, lives will be blessed. Is my prayer.
0: <laughs> amen, amen. And thank you, my friends. Thank you for joining us. Please take a moment to share this podcast with another writer or two. Give us a star rating, something that you feel comfortable with as you listen to us and experience the information that we share with you. Perhaps post a episode review. A good one for JP would be most excellent. And then, of course, hit subscribe. I greatly appreciate you because what you have to say matters as much as what you have to write. This is Linda Goldfarb, and I look forward to being here with you on our next episode of Your Best Writing Life.